0: I was stunned. And I just couldn't believe it. I was stunned because I would
1: have never in a million years thought that anything would happen to Natalie. It was shocking, quite frankly, to hear about Natalie Wood's death in 1981 during that Thanksgiving weekend. I think it was a feeling of just being stunned. There is that feeling of a kind of, how could this happen? to uh, somebody who seemed so young and vibrant and had so much to live for.
2: When I heard of her death, I thought, how tragic. I have to say, I didn't initially think anything except how awful, how tragic, and being old fashioned, (laughs) growing up in in, in the Bible Belt, my initial thought was, why is a nice young lady on a boat with three old men. Literally, my mind went there like, oh, that's not a safe thing for anybody. Um, What's going on? Well, I remember hearing the news about Natalie Wood's death. And of course, at that point, uh, you know, I was glued to my radio and television for further details. I sort of knew that she had this phobia against, uh, phobia about water and the ocean, but it just felt odd to me. It still feels odd. It
3: feels more than odd. Hello and welcome to Chapter 8 of Fatal Voyage, the mysterious death of Natalie Wood. I'm your host, Dylan Howard. Just days after Natalie Wood's lifeless body was discovered in a watery grave off Catalina Island, The investigation was seemingly shut down. Why did so many people fall silent and were they pressured? In this episode, we'll discuss if this Hollywood couple's fame and celebrity power played a factor in how the case was handled. Was there a cover-up? Let's start with the morning Natalie was found. Here's Marty Rooley author of Goodbye Natalie, Goodbye Splendor, and someone who has done over 30 years of research into the Natalie Wood case.
0: Detective Razor, the first on the scene from the LASD, was blinded by celebrity. No one could believe that anyone would harm Natalie Wood, and this is because of her celebrity, the celebrity of the couple, this Married couple that had just had a daughter four years before. This was just presumed that it had to have been an accident. They did not treat this as a crime scene or a potential crime scene even.
4: I'm Beth Karras. I'm a New York attorney. I was an assistant DA from 1986 to 1994 in Manhattan. And then I joined Court TV for 19 years. The celebrity factor can definitely be a curse. Because so many celebrities, many say, have gotten away with crimes, or they've been able to like, convince authorities that what happened isn't really what, what happened. For years, it was much harder to go after a celebrity. I mean, I'm not just talking about O.J. Simpson or Robert Blake, both of whom got acquitted, both of murdering their wives. I mean, I'm sure we could come up with a, a list of celebrities who people believe got away with crimes murder or something less but today you know we see we see the DUI prosecutions I mean who knows how many times cops have let a celebrity go when they caught them drunk driving right but I, I do think that um celebrities get a pass uh and I, I don't know though that it's it's that much different today it, it may be true what one prominent defense attorney in Los Angeles told me that he thinks that it's it's harder today
3: Perhaps R.J.'s celebrity status did play a factor in how detectives did, or in this case, did not investigate the case. Or perhaps there were other factors. Hollywood publicist and insider Tommy Lightfoot Garrett has his own theories.
2: Everyone was above with gossip and innuendo and saying, you know, he's not talking, um, meaning her husband, R.J., These were two A-list stars. They were the Brad and Angelina of that generation. So LAPD, they don't like you know, celebrity scandals. They have never liked them. The in- entire industry runs the city and vice versa. That's the way the LAPD and the LA Sheriff's Department handled anything when someone was famous. Who wants to be the cop on the beat <laughs> to solve something or to open up an investigation? That's all hot and popular now. But in the 80s and 90s, that was no one wanted a part of that. Um, No one in that era wanted to um, unravel or destroy someone's career. His inner circle protected him because they cared about the image. This is what Hollywood used to do. It specialized in covering up deaths, covering that happened as far back as the 20s and 30s, Gene Harlow, and RJ knew this. He knew the image to the Hollywood players. He knew the image to the studios would mean something. So he played on all of that. He got sympathy from all the right people and they all surrounded him and they protected him.
3: Author Kathleen McKenna has by far the most explosive and perhaps a little too far-fetched theory we've heard yet.
5: Back in the old days, they had these like studio contract players and Wagner was one at the same time as Reagan. Um, They became lifetime close friends. If your old buddy, who had then become governor of California and a very powerful governor had become a very powerful United States president it had to have been somebody incredibly powerful to make sure that there was no investigation and no questioning of one of the most famous women in the world dying in a completely bizarre way and no phone call to the coast guard till she'd been in the water for almost 6 hours only real power could cause nothing to happen and I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and for anyone who's rolling their eyes, I do not blame you for doing that. Why would the president of the United States protect an actor? They were old friends. They'd been in the studio system together. I very much doubt Ronald Reagan thought he had killed Natalie. He just wanted to, thought he was grieving and wanted to protect him.
3: Here's Marty Ruley.
5: I've often wondered how high up did it go to protect Robert Wagner,
0: keeping this story under wraps? Because... Robert Wagner says in his own memoir that after he was married to Jill and when Dennis started revealing information in the media, Jill St. John wanted to contact Henry Kissinger, who she once dated and remained friendly with, to try to put a stop to me and Dennis. And That just, you know, (laughs) I didn't even know how to absorb that type of, that Henry Kissinger would be called, you know, on behalf of um, reports I was writing or a book I wanted to publish. Jill St. John wanted to call her friend, Henry Kissinger, who would help take care of us. In other words, to quiet us.
3: As we've heard, there's a range of opinions, some a bit outlandish, but some based on fact. One of television's most respected legal commentators and host of the podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace weighs in.
6: There have been many sensational reports alleging the original autopsy was not just bungled, but was faked. Now, I have a hard time believing it was faked intentionally. I have a very difficult time believing that. Bungled uh, to a point that it was outright negligent, I would find that to be a lot more believable than someone intentionally faking an autopsy. What I find to be a clear, clear problem is that the then medical examiner Thomas Noguchi did not scrape for tissue under Nellie Wood's fingernails while conducting her post-mortem. That is elementary. The elementary mechanics of the autopsy get an F, an F minus. The fact that he seemingly skewered his report in Robert Wagner's favor is a big issue that in my mind is something that could be arguable regarding the bungling of the autopsy of natalie wood
3: retired trial lawyer sam peroni has spent three years researching and writing a manuscript about natalie's
7: death dr noguchi what didn't want to find any evidence of homicide he wanted the the autopsy performed and he wanted, wanted it performed fast so he could shut the book on this case Dr. Noguchi had been slammed in the media several times by celebrities for revealing what they believed to be personal private information about the celebrity's death. Dr. Noguchi loved his press conferences. He loved the attention. And so he got in front of the media every time one of these celebrities died and he told them salacious things that they liked to hear. Everything was good with the public, but the undertow was trying to pull him down. The criticism within within Hollywood was trying to pull him down under. When William Holden died, he got on television and told everybody that William Holden was drunk. He fell down, hit his head and bled to death. Well, that was all the truth. I mean, there was nothing that was untrue about that. But the Hollywood people came unglued because everybody loved William Holden and the celebrities in particular, and they didn't think that Dr. Noguchi ought to be getting on television talking about those things about William Holden. A Couple, two or three weeks after William Holden, Natalie Wood turns up dead. Now he's starting to look into Natalie Wood's case And in my opinion, he knew that if it was a normal case, that he would be thinking homicide until somebody proved to him that it was something different. But instead, he immediately went to accident. He turned his head, crucial evidence, to show that it could have been a homicide. And he failed to follow, I think, basic elementary Forensic Science Protocol.
3: Not everyone agrees that Noguchi botched the case. Noted forensic pathologist Dr Cyril Wecht conducted his own independent review of Natalie Wood's autopsy report. Here, he reveals his findings and addresses the more recent accusations that Noguchi overlooked the bruises found on Natalie's body.
8: I have had a uh, long time... uh, collegial relationship with Dr. Thomas Noguchi through the American Academy of Forensic Sciences uh, where we first met many years ago. You know, let me me say this, and I'm well aware then of the statements that several people have made um, raising questions based upon uh, his review of the uh, autopsy findings um, uh, which included the various bruises Uh, on her body and an abrasion bruise on her face. So what we have here from a pathological standpoint are various bruises and um, abrasion. It is not true for some people to say that these were not noted or commented upon or considered by Dr. Noguchi, and I don't say that defensively um, because uh, uh, of any friendship I have with him. And if you look at the autopsy report, and I have it in front of me, all these bruises are specifically referred to and listed, both in the description as well as in the diagnosis. They're all there. The bruises on the arms and the legs and something on the face, they were all noted by Dr. Naguchi That's number one. So it isn't as if somebody found something later on. The body was not exhumed. So it is an executive body had been re examined. So how could anybody then talk about bruises later on?
3: Should the body be exhumed? Would that silence the rumors of a cover up once and for all? I can only imagine the media circus that would follow if this were to happen. Here's Nancy Grace's take.
6: DNA can exist for decades and decades. If her body was exhumed there may be a chance to get some forensic evidence. At this point, I think it's more likely that the case would move forward if a witness came forward. Typically, a family member has to agree to an exhumation process, but that's not necessarily true. If police go to a judge and explain and demonstrate Reasons that an exhumation is necessary, a judge can order that over even the protests of family. I mean, it just makes common sense since, in most murders, in most homicides, domestic homicides, the man, lover, husband, ex is the perpetrator statistically. You think they're going to agree to an exhumation? Not likely.
3: Currently, we aren't aware of any plans to exhume Natalie's body, but that issue aside, there's a coincidence that is just too bizarre not to mention. In Thomas Noguchi's book, Coroner, he details that on the night in question, senior coroner's office investigator and ocean accident specialist, Paul Miller, just happened to be moored yards away from the splendor. According to Naguchi, Paul Miller was also a personal friend
7: of Robert Wagner's. Dr. Noguchi in his book that he made millions of dollars off of, that featured Natalie Wood's case as the very first chapter in his book, said that he sent Paul Miller out there for an expert consultation report. I think Paul Miller was trying to do a good job for Dr. Noguchi, um, even though he was a friend and shouldn't have been sent out there in the first place. For reasons
3: unknown, Paul Miller was not deemed a conflict of interest by Noguchi and the Miller report was never made public. But Sam Peroni claims he's gotten his hands on it and for the first time publicly, he shares with us his exclusive account.
7: I will say this about Paul Miller's report. He might have left a few things out of it, you know, but I think he actually went out there to actually provide Dr. Noguchi with some actual real facts. Uh, For example, Paul Miller is the one, and it's in his report that said he saw evidence on the side of the dinghy that could have been scratches, fingernail scratches. He doesn't say they were definitely fingernail scratches because he wouldn't know. But, But he did tell Dr. Noguchi that. I can tell you that the contents of that report show that Dr. Noguchi did not do one thing that Paul Miller suggests that he do to actually investigate Natalie Wood's death. That's the significance of the Paul Miller report.
3: Why wouldn't Noguchi follow the suggestion of his own investigator, especially after learning that there was the possibility that Natalie may have tried to pull herself into the dinghy? That wasn't the only thing Noguchi ignored.
7: One of the things he told Dr. Noguchi that he should do is he told him that he should get all of the radio transcripts of all the radio communications to the United States Coast Guard that took place that Saturday evening. I think Paul Miller was trying to pin down the timeline personally because I think he wanted to see the transcripts to see who called whom first and exactly what time it occurred. And to my knowledge, Dr. Noguchi did not get those transcripts. Paul Miller even offered to review them for him just in case there might be um, uh, voter lingo in there that Dr. Noguchi wouldn't understand. Um, And I don't believe Dr. Noguchi got them because I uh, found no evidence of it. And if you try to get them today, which I tried to do with the Federal Freedom of Information Act request, they'll tell you that the transcripts were destroyed 25 years after the event. So they're gone. So nobody can get them now. Now, Dr. Noguchi ignored that on purpose.
3: One thing Noguchi didn't ignore, and even shared with the press, was the following. Argument
4: apparently took place, not involving Miss Wagner, but Mr Wagner and uh, other actors. And uh, Miss Wagner apparently did not involve, and apparently that may be the cause of uh,
3: herself separating from this group. Noguchi's declaration that there was an argument on board that night, presumably intended to explain why Natalie might have tried to take out the dinghy, instead had the opposite effect. This jeopardised RJ's presumed innocence, as reporters now began questioning Detective Rajor, the original homicide cop on the case, about this supposed argument. Detective Rajor denied any argument ever took place, and RJ avoided suspicion. But for Noguchi, the damage to his career was done. People wanted him gone, and perhaps no-one more than another old friend of RJ's, who happens to be an icon known the world over.
0: I do know that Frank Sinatra is one of the celebrities who wrote a letter to the sheriff's department or the county medical facility about Noguchi telling, you know, when Noguchi was saying, uh, offering information about Natalie's death and Sinatra sent the letter saying, shut this man up. You know, he gets too personal given death details. It was shortly after that that Noguchi was fired.
3: Frank Sinatra is a name that would come up yet again. And this time his sights appeared to be set on another person who could blow open the official version of events. Ear witness Marilyn Wayne, who claims she received a letter that still haunts her to this day.
1: I received a note, something to the effect of, if you want to stay healthy, keep your mouth shut. When I received the note, I realised that it wasn't a joke, that Wagner was very well connected in Hollywood and to whom he was well connected. And that was somebody that you didn't mess with or you wouldn't have remained healthy. My feeling was that the note had come from a very powerful Hollywood individual, henchman, if you will. And it scared me to the point For 19 years, I was quiet. Even though Sinatra is dead, uh, I think all of us that are involved in telling this story are still afraid. I'm still afraid.
3: Regardless of any speculation by anyone regarding any wrongdoing on the night of Natalie's death, the case was closed. And it would stay that way for decades. RJ's friends, his circle of protectors the detectives investigating the case. Noguchi, and perhaps even Ronald Reagan, all ensured, intentionally or not, that no one would question what happened to Natalie again. And RJ, he too allegedly did what he had to do to ensure that he would come out of this tragedy unscathed. The night that
0: Natalie was missing, probably near early morning, Dennis believes that Wagner called his attorney from the boat. And he's not sure, but he believes, I think there's evidence now that yes, Wagner did call an attorney from the boat, but Dennis was told by Robert Wagner to say nothing that Wagner would get him an attorney. So after Dennis identified Natalie's body, he actually took the regular passenger speedboat from Catalina Island back to the mainland. There was a car waiting for him that took him directly to Robert Wagner's home. And already mourners had begun to gather. Dennis, he was led by the elbow by someone to Robert Wagner's bedroom through the crowd. And Wagner had an attorney there, his attorney, and... Dennis was told that another attorney would be assigned to him the next day to go downstairs and mingle with the crowd but say nothing. I guess they didn't want it to look like everyone who was aboard the boat was hiding. I know that Lana Wood that very day approached Dennis and Wagner and tell me what happened, tell me what happened. And both said it's just a tragic accident. And Dennis went along with that. And then the next day, there was an attorney hired for Dennis. He went to the office. He signed a paper. And then he went back the day of Natalie's funeral, and Razor met Dennis at the attorney's office. And Razor had no more questions, accepted Dennis's statement, and the case was closed. But Dennis, at that time, was asked by Wagner to remain in the Wagner home. Wagner didn't want Dennis out there on the loose. He didn't want him calling his mother. He didn't want him calling a friend. He wanted Dennis under his wing. And Dennis was watched by Robert Wagner bodyguards, I guess you would call them. And he was asked to not leave the house. But Dennis had a fiancé at the time who wanted to see him. And Dennis wanted to see her. So a few days later, they did let Dennis see her for... A few hours, and Dennis wanted to spend a night at his fiance's house, and he was driven there and when he called and said he's going to spend the night with his fiance, Wagner sent his guys over to get Dennis, and Dennis refused to go, and basically, they dragged him down the sidewalk to the car. And Dennis's fiance was, you know, crying, leave him alone, leave him alone. And they took Dennis back to Wagner's house. And that's where Dennis basically stayed for
2: a year.
3: On the next fatal voyage. I wanted
2: to go visit my girlfriend. A driver and a bodyguard took me to my girlfriend's house. When I was in there for a certain period of time, they ended up knocking on the door and told me, hey, it was time we go back to Beverly Hills to... RJ's house you know I said hey wait can you know my girlfriend got a little upset they literally grabbed me by my neck and literally dragged me down the sidewalk and threw me in their car and took me back to Wagner's house
8: I was like man this
2: is just going to be way way too much
3: Fatal Voyage is executive produced and hosted by me, Dylan Howard, and American Media Incorporated. Executive producers also include Callie Garner and Carolina Saavedra from Treefort. Engineering, mixing, scoring and original music by Tom Monahan. Additional editing by Eva Rystad and Stephen Cologne. Make sure to subscribe to Fatal Voyage on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.